Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Child-proofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely available on 2032, 2025 and 2016 sizes. I love CBS. It could be my favorite store. Let me tell you why. It's hard to get a new look with old makeup. Did you know that beauty products have best buy dates? Take a look and toss them out. When you spring an hour forward this week, be sure to take the time to replace batteries and smoke detectors. Toss out old vitamins, allergy relief, OTC products, makeup, and anything else that might be outdated. CVS can help with this. This week, they're offering 20% off CVS pickup orders, so it's a great time to order replacements. It's all part of the CVS Spring Fling. Fling out the old, save on the new. Get 20% off when you buy online and pick up in store using CVS Pickup. Use the promo code SPRING20 to save big during the CVS Spring Fling. Visit cvs.com slash spring fling for details. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Simplify your life with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Stay connected anywhere and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Navigate easily by powering apps like real-time GPS and voice assistant. Keep everyone entertained with Wi-Fi for up to 10 devices. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. Discover the convenience and see if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity roadblock your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road. Don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous Podcast with iHeartRadio. Welcome to another Almost Famous podcast. Uh, this one is unique and it's special and I think it's timely. Uh, you know, obviously we, we usually do our podcasts on Mondays, uh, the release like late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Uh, this, you know, this week's podcast had a response that we felt 
as a team that we should do a special episode for. It's probably not an episode that you are expecting. Uh, this will look different than most Almost Famous episodes. But I wanted to start uh, just speaking to all of you as listeners. I know there are some very sensitive subjects going around Bachelor Nation right now. As we mentioned in the last podcast, they're not fun to talk about. It is not why we do this podcast. It is not why I sit down and work through this podcast. It is not the fun moments, and it is not things we like to talk about. But this is a podcast about what is happening in Bachelor Nation. We are trying our best to cover those using the information that we know and sharing that with the listeners because that's what we've committed to. We as hosts don't have a script. There's no practice for this. And we say things in the moment that can be misconstrued and our communication can sometimes mm -hmm. fail and mistakes happen. Uh, I, I know they happen. They happen, happen often with me, and I'm sure if you're a listener, you also can relate with you've said things in the moment that you didn't really mean, and somehow they got communicated in a way that you never intended them to be communicated, and they sat with whoever you're talking to in a way that maybe was um, offensive, and you had to re-communicate, re-explain mm -hmm. yourself. And that's what I have to do now. I know on the last podcast, I made the comment that love makes you do crazy things. That at no level, and, and I want to reinforce this, was justifying any actions. It was never my intention, and it's never my hope, and it's not my feelings to justify any actions that have happened within Bachelor Nation. That comment was irresponsible at best. It was something that I said in the moment that I would have loved to follow up on and say, yeah, that's not what I meant. I don't think true, healthy, good love makes you do crazy things. I don't want to justify anybody's actions here. There is no justification for it. But I do want to make it clear that nothing I said was in support of any actions that are damaging to any other human. What I want to do is say things that help and don't hurt, and we want to walk this line on sensitive subjects to do that. It's not easy, and I'm not great at it. I try really hard, and I'm going to fail. And if you're a listener to this podcast for the last how many years we've been doing it, you know I failed. But I also hope you can see that we're trying. This is not fun for us to sit down and make anybody's life Worse, it's not the hope for this. It doesn't do anything for Ashley or I. Our hope is that we sit down, we discuss a show that we've experienced and that you all watch and you all enjoy, and at the end of it, we wash our hands clean and we move on with the week. And this week, it sat heavy on my chest because I know there was words said that have sat with you all and that have offended you all. And for that, I am sorry. It was not my intent. There is no justification within those words. They're irresponsible words. I think at best I was trying to explain the excuses that have been given to why things happened within Bachelor Nation. But I'm sorry. I'm not justifying any actions. I don't want anybody to hurt worse. 
I don't want anybody to feel like I am on the side of anybody but somebody hurting deeply, which is a victim. So it is important for me to start this podcast out and say that. Going off of what Ben said, words are powerful. And this week was a lesson for us that we have to be careful, way more careful with our words. When Ben said, love makes you crazy. I knew he meant heartbreak can get so dark for some people that it drives a person to a point where their actions are dangerous, fear-inducing, and mental help is necessary. What love doesn't do is excuse inexcusable behavior. That's something that we did fail to say. Our intentions were never to excuse disgusting behavior by saying such things as love makes you crazy. And while others aren't able to read our heart and our mind's intention, that's the purpose of well-chosen words. And as a podcast host, well, um, chosen, chosen, good chosen words are kind of important. Um, and this has been a reminder of that this week. Today, we want to learn how to discuss sensitive subjects better. We decided to do this podcast so that we can learn alongside any of you listening how to better talk about things like this so that we can ensure that we're helping and not hurting. The money that Ben and I make from today's episode of the Almost Latest podcast will be donated to Rain. It's a nonprofit helping victims of sexual assault. And our first guest today is Dr. Hillary Golsher. She's a licensed clinical psychologist with a private practice in Beverly Hills, and she specializes in the treatment of couples and relationships, depression, anxiety, and trauma. As every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once. It's tough for even the most watchful mom and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Duracell understands that. That's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power many important things around people's homes, including things that young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, but they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening because they believe that their product should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely available on 2032, 2025 and 2016 sizes. Diaper duty. It's the adventure no one warns you about when you're expecting, right? Well, fear not. Pamper Swaddlers features a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Not only are Pamper Swaddlers total game changers, they have the hottest baby gift trend for 2024, the Pampers Diaper Stash, an online diaper fund where friends and family can contribute a group gift so that your diaper stockpile never runs out. I love this idea. Here's how it works. You create a diaper stash account, share it with your tribe, watch the stash grow, gift it to the parents, and voila. They use the stash funds to snag Pampers diapers and wipes anywhere, anytime. It's not just a gift. It's a stash of joy. 
<laughs> ensuring that those parents-to-be are stocked up without the guesswork. So whether you're a parent in the trenches or the ultimate gift guru, make 2024 the year of leak-free happiness. Pamper swaddlers and the diaper stash. Because parenting should be an extraordinary journey, not a messy one. I love CVS. Let me tell you why. Take a look at your makeup. Dealing with Krispy Kreme's mucky mascara, goopy gloss. When you spring ahead for daylight savings, fling them out. Did you know that over-the-counter can get old? That's OTC, can get OLD. Over-the-counter products like allergy relief and vitamins have expiration dates. When you spring ahead this week, Toss out those outdated items. They're yucky. Start fresh. Daylight savings time is coming up, and it's a perfect time to go through your closets, cabinets, and pocketbooks and throw out any outdated products. And CVS can help you save big on replacements during the CVS spring fling. Fling out the old, save big on the new. Check your mascara, creams, and sunscreens and replace anything that's outdated and may have lost its effectiveness. Same with ibuprofen, allergy relief products, and vitamins. Try free CVS pickup and get your order in in as little as one hour. Visit cvs.com slash spring fling for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This week alone, Ashley... I'm not going to go into the details necessarily of the conversation that I had, but I, I sat with a friend of mine for two days uh, who is in a really tough place in life. We'll say it that way. And he mentioned to me that he is going to start, and he already had started at one previous time in his life, uh, reaching out to BetterHelp because of kind of the the setup of BetterHelp, right? It's, it's virtual if you're not kind of like clicking with the person that you're assigned to or that you get to have, you can move to somebody else. BetterHelp came up in my life organically this week, and I was so excited because I immediately said, I don't know if it was appropriate given the conversation, but I said, my podcast, you know, promotes BetterHelp and talks about BetterHelp, and we have for a while. So BetterHelp is out there. It's a growing brand who is benefiting many, many people. It sure is. Uh, we love it because you can do it through text. You can do it through phone. You can do it uh, video chat. And a lot of people just don't need the anxiety of driving to an office and whatnot when it comes to therapy. And also just the whole dating a therapist thing. It's like awkward. You go see one and you don't click. Well, you can change therapists whenever you want. So if you're thinking about giving therapy a try, we definitely suggest going to BetterHelp. It's entirely online, like I just said, and it's convenient, flexible, can be suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. To learn to make time for what makes you happy, go to BetterHelp, visit betterhelp.com slash almost today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash almost. Your whole life, you've been told that the enemy of eating well is giving into your cravings and indulging, but actually your cravings are leading you right where you need to be to Collie Power. <laughs> Collie Power is the brand that powers the foods that you crave with the ingredients you deserve so you can crave on. So if you're craving pizza, go ahead. Enjoy one of Collie Power's thin and crispy stone fired cauliflower crust pizzas, craving chicken tenders, 
Collie Power's chicken tenders are made with real all-natural white meat chicken and a crispy coating packed with cauliflower so you can get protein and veggies all in one bite. And that's not all. If you want to indulge in a big warm bowl of pasta, dig in with Collie Power's cauliflower-based pasta meals. Dinner has never been easier or more delicious. With Collie Power, all the foods you crave are made with the power of veggies. Gluten-free always, ready in minutes, and most importantly, they taste like the foods you crave. Cauliflower's products are available in freezers nationwide. Visit eatcaulipower.com to find them in a store near you. Cauliflower, crave on. Hey, Dr. Bolsher, how are you doing? Good, Ashley. Thanks for having me. How do you been too? Oh, thank you for being here. So just uh, our listeners are out there. Um, can you give a little background about why you're here right now? Like what makes you equipped to, to speak with us? Sure. I'm a clinical psychologist. I practice in Beverly Hills. And one of my areas of specialty is around domestic violence. And it sounds like there's been a lot of really important discussions and a whole range of feelings about the topics you've discussed over the last podcast and I feel like I'm in a really good position to sort of address concerns, confusion, upset, and this super important topic. You know, can we start there then? Um, we, this podcast is not, I, we just talked about it, but it's just not fun to talk about those, like the, the subjects that are, are heavy and burdenful and they're just sensitive. They're sensitive topics. Um, there's obviously things that, that I said on the, the podcast before. I made the comment. I said, uh, love makes you do crazy things. And I've already spoken to the fact that I, I didn't mean it in any, really with anything. It was an irresponsible thing for me to say because I had no weight behind it. It had no intention behind it. It was just a thing I said. Uh, and I now recognize, based on um, a few people who have been awesome to me, who... Um, are victims or they they know somebody close to them, the victims that said, hey, this is why this was offensive. It was offensive because it felt like you were justifying that love uh, gives you the, the excuse to do things that are harmful or hurtful. And I recognize that now. That was that's not that was not at all what I wanted. But I would love if you could spend a few moments and talk about, you know, when we do speak openly, like how how we navigate these sensitive subjects so that we aren't harmful in our speech. Um, especially when we're just, we're, you know, when they're just topics that come up and we have to speak off of, off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a complex question and the right one to ask. I mean, it, we of, of course want to address these topics with a lot of sensitivity and with the goal of listening. Right. I mean, whenever we're talking about something where people have been harmed emotionally or physically, we want to be listening. We want to ask a lot of questions. We want to understand what their experience is before we offer our perspective or opinion. I think that's a really important thing for all of us to try to strive towards. However, we all in conversation with our friends and family and loved ones in conversations in podcasts or um, in groups of friends, get animated um, and involved in conversations and, and say things that we might not think through beforehand. Yeah. So to me, this is a beautiful teaching moment. Um, and, and Ben, I mean, it might not be fun to be at the center of it um, for you, but it's a beautiful teaching moment 
we're, we're all human. We all say things at, at moments that we, we don't think about or come to learn impact someone in a way that we never intended. So this is a moment to sort of really step back for you, for all of your listeners, that when you're talking about things like this, like harassment, domestic violence, and that arena of pain that people go through, that we want to be really, really careful about the words that we choose. We want to ask a lot of mm. questions. We want to understand what people are going through. And we want to bring a lot of sensitivity to the topic. And part of it is that there's just a lack of discussion and education around this issue. This isn't mm. something people talk about in a lot of different circles often. And so part of, I hope, what we're doing here today is increasing our ability to have these kind of conversations, not just shy away from them, but how do we have them productively and respectfully? So some um, of our feedback from Monday's episode was people telling us that we shouldn't be discussing matters like this, like this is not the point of our podcast. And part of me was like, "Mm, oh, maybe. And then the other part of me thought, well, don't we need to talk about this in order to prevent it from happening to more people? And I guess my question is when it comes to high profile uh, cases like this, do we let them be dealt with as privately as possible or do we discuss it like we, we are today? I think it's a fine line. I think we have to be really careful about delving into the details of anyone's issues around domestic violence or harassment, stalking, et cetera, if we don't have all the information at hand, whether it's a high profile case or um, Mm -hmm. something in our personal circles, I think we have to be really careful about it because if we don't have all the information, there's a lot of hypothesis and speculation and that can be hurtful or harmful to people. However, I think we can have a really important macro discussion about the issue of domestic violence and the issue of stalking and harassment and even um, what happens to people on both sides of that equation, right? Like what what is it like to be a a victim of stalking and harassment and domestic violence? What does it do to someone psychologically? What does it take to speak out um, publicly or to seek legal assistance? if you're on the other end of it and have perpetrated um, um, these type of wounds against someone, how does that come to pass? And how does someone like that begin to heal? I think those are all really important discussions to have both on a micro and a macro level. So I think I think it's possible for both to happen. It can coexist that you can talk about this issue about these two folks from this nation of people that you talk about a lot without um, delving so deep into areas uh, that, that with which you aren't familiar. So I, I think I think both can be accomplished. Well, let's start there then, um, because obviously the last few days have just, and this is not about me at any level, but they've been really hard uh, to process because I, I know how I feel, and I and I also know that how Ashley feels, and I know we do want to help and not hurt, and that there's things we say sometimes that definitely hurt, and I guess. Um, as we do then begin to speak up or let's move it to this example, then say we have a friend who is on both sides of this situation. What can we do as friends, uh, to be helpful to them in situations like this? And let's start with speaking to the victim. If there is somebody that has been hurt and pained, how do we as humans communicate with them to allow them to feel safe and to, at least to however they want to open up to us. Yes. 
such an important question and I sort of alluded to it before, but really important to repeat being a listener, asking a lot of questions, slowing down your pace and your energy and just deeply sinking into meeting the person where they're at and hearing their story. Support and empathy and compassion is key because most people who are in situations where they are victims of domestic violence or stalking harassment feel a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear and helplessness and a sense of feeling sort of out of control. And there's a lot of feelings around talking about it publicly, um, not just publicly like in the format where you all mm -hmm. are dealing with, but just publicly to, to friends and family. It can feel, um, one can feel shame, embarrassment, um, fear of retaliation from um, the, the person um, whom they're accusing. And there's so, there's such a myriad of feelings that someone in that position is going to experience. So sitting with them and being able to absorb those feelings, listen and ask questions and offer empathy and compassion is key. It is a requirement, you know, for that person to be able to sit with you and feel heard and safe. And um, I, I think if, if you only do one thing, it's that. And then the second is trying to figure out uh, what level of, um, of concern or danger that this person is experiencing and are external resources required. And so is, is that mean reaching out to a, a therapist? Does that mean reaching out to uh, authorities? Does that mean reaching out to parents or family, et cetera, making sure that you're helping that person mobilize resources? What do you do if you don't have proof that there's something dangerous going on, but you have a sense that your friend in a relationship is going through something very serious, how do you approach that if they don't bring it up to you? Do, do you at all approach it? Such a good question. My opinion is that you do approach it, but you approach it in a way that is open, that is flexible, and that is without pressure. So that you're going to someone and saying a version of my, my intuition is, is saying that something's happening here and I just want to check in with you. Is there any way in which you're feeling not safe physically, emotionally? And if the person is quickly defensive or um, dismissive mm -hmm. and you still have that suspicion, making sure that you create an open door, that you create an open space. Okay, I hear you. I just want to let you know I'm no matter what, I'm here for you. I support the relationship. If something happens, I'm here for you. I'm always a resource for you. And making sure that you aren't um uh pushing your opinion or your agenda or your fears um too close to that person so that they shut down and don't see you as, as a safe haven to go to at some other time i mean if, if you think someone is is in imminent danger then you're going to want to go to mm -hmm. um uh, the authorities or something um of course but in the scenario that you described where you have an inkling and aren't sure um in my opinion the key is keeping the door open so that that person can come to you if something happens and they need help I always struggle um, before we move into then uh, something that I, I don't think gets talked about a lot. And um, one thing you'd hinted at is talking about what we do if there is somebody on the harassing or stalking end of things and how we deal with that. But before we get there, I, one scenario I always struggle with is, you know, when, when I know there's something traumatic or really difficult going on in somebody's life that is a friend of mine that I have communication with often. I never know if I should be the one reaching out. I never know if, and, and maybe this could be the transition then into talking about both sides because I don't know my role in this because I know how I feel. I know what, what I stand for, but yet there's still humans 
at play here and and those humans still matter uh, uh to to you as a friend or to what you know so do you reach out do you just wait till they reach out how do you deal with that you know i i work a lot with people um who are dealing with grief um who have lost parents sisters brothers children etc and this question comes up a lot should i reach out to my friend who lost a daughter um I, I i'm so anxious about the idea of having that conversation of triggering something with them of reaching out if they haven't reached out to me etc and almost always when you speak to the person dealing with the grief they always want welcome being reached out to being told that they're being thought of letting them know that there's someone there for them should they need it and are never additionally traumatized by someone um, bringing up the topic, so to speak. So all of this to say that uh, through that in particular and through my work as a clinician, the answer is is sort of an unabashedly yes. That I, I don't think you can ever lose to, to go to a loved one or a friend and say, I'm thinking of you, I'm here. And if um, this isn't the right time for you, if it isn't something you want to talk about, absolutely respect that, but I want to let you know that I'm here and I'm a resource for you if and when you're ready. I think it's a really important thing and it can be a really uncomfortable thing because to move into the space of someone suffering, even via text or via phone call or a, a drop-by visit is, is vulnerable, is uh, anxiety provoking, is difficult. It makes us feel awkward. It makes us feel difficult mm -hmm. when we're yeah. reaching out, but we have to kind of um, reach out outside of ourselves and um, be in that uncomfortable space in the service of letting someone know we're thinking of them. It's, it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of like humanity. What brings us together is that kind of connection and letting people know that like, I'm thinking of you when things are hard. You, you said a word there that, uh, you know, it's a good, I don't know if it's a, a, something I've learned already in the last, uh, you know, couple minutes of us talking uh, but the triggering and being more careful of the language used to, and because I think personally, I struggle with uh, trying to fill the gap in those conversations, like not letting silence sit and just trying to mm. say something to fill the gap, to try to make it feel better. And something that as you're talking, that's reminded me is sometimes I can't fill that gap. And when I do, there's actually something there that I would say that is triggering and hurtful and harmful and allowing those silence, those moments of silence to be there and then asking those questions to learn and to not assume are just, that's, I don't know, that's something I'm taking out of this. And as I sit here hearing you talk, I'm saying, yes, this is exactly why we wanted to do this so that hopefully I can learn and leave this and people listening and Ashley can leave this and become a better friend or a better partner or whatever that looks like. Um, one thing that's a difficult subject that that I don't even know how to broach or even ask into is what do you do for somebody that is on the other side? What is our role there as humans and how do we navigate that appropriately without causing more harm? Yeah. It's, it's a really difficult question and there's only imperfect answers. I mean, it's so messy and difficult if someone that we love engages in behavior that is wrong. I mean, it's really painful for everyone involved. So I think it's just really important to acknowledge that upfront, that no matter what we do, it's going to be a little messy because that's a really, really messy scenario. Someone we love did something that is wrong or hurt another person. You know, there's, there's not much we can do that's going to um, fully heal that fracture. Having said all that, I, I, I think that it is important to acknowledge the person who has engaged in the wrong behavior in some way. 
to let them know that you have heard their story, that you're thinking of them and wishing them healing. You know, a, a version of being able to stand in the sphere of someone who is dealing with something difficult and trying to heal and find um, forgiveness within themselves and find better ways and better coping mechanisms that you can stand even symbolically to support that effort, even if you aren't directly involved. So communicating in some way that I support your effort as you move towards healing. Um, and I want you to know that kind of thing could serve to communicate. I'm thinking of you, I'm here from you, for you. And I am um, supporting the idea of this being change worthy behavior, you know? So trying to navigate um, what I think you're asking, which is how do I love on someone? How do I support someone? And also make it clear that I don't endorse or support the behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's there's some version of being able to do that in a respectful way. I mean, it depends on the role of the person that you're talking about. If it's a dear friend of yours, you might have a more candid conversation with that person. How did this happen? Where did things go wrong? How can I support you in figuring out a different way? You, you know, right? If it, it's someone that you know less well and are just trying to sort of put out into the world that you don't support um, the behavior uh, and that you do support healing, um, there's probably a way to do that without triggering um, too many people in your own sphere and in that person's sphere. I um, find myself frustratingly inarticulate, especially in tough, sticky situations. Like the, the harder the situation to talk about, the the less words come to me, right? And things just may come out that I that don't do the job that I intended them to do, like we were talking about earlier, I guess, what are some trigger words or phrases that I wouldn't think were offensive to a victim, but are? Can you think of any? I think the notion of over-questioning the victim uh, about mm -hmm. um, their narrative, I thought you guys Okay. I thought you guys were in a really good place. You know? Okay. I've, I've never seen that kind of energy between you two. You know, um, any anything that might demonstrate um, a dismissiveness or a denial or a disbelief of the victim's story, um, we really want to be careful to avoid. Um, okay. I, I think that that that's a primary thing that comes to mind. Um, I think. Platitudes can be difficult for people to take into. Oh, that must be really hard, you know, kind of thing. Um, really asking questions and sitting back and listening, I think, is critical. What what's the, what's this been like for you? How has it been? It's it's hard for me to imagine. I would I would I would love to sit with you as you talk about it, you know, kind of thing. You know, Ben mentioned something really important, which I want to re-highlight around being able to tolerate that silence and that I guess awkwardness. This is a messy, mm -hmm. awkward situation, uh, the one that we're talking about specifically in any situation where there's domestic violence or harassment or stalking. And so, but being able to tolerate the messiness of it as, as someone on the outside, as someone who's not the victim, you know, that, that's a job we should probably try to take on, you know, since we're not the victim, um, we're not the perpetrator, we're a support member. And so being able to sit in the silence, being able to sit in the awkwardness, being able to say, I'm, I'm not even sure what to say right now, but I'm, I'm just going to sit here with you. 
I think are, are really important skills to cultivate in moments like this. We don't have to fix it as a support number. We, we cannot fix it. We cannot, that isn't our job. Uh, the, the best that we can do is to let people know we love you, we're here, I'm sitting with you in this. I uh, thank you for all of this, by the way. This is uh, really helpful for me, um, and, and I hope it is for the listeners, especially coming off of you know, something that was contentious and misunderstood and really fired people up. I, I, I was told, I was talking to a buddy yesterday and was just like, just in the worst possible place mentally. And he, he just reminded me, he said, Hey, like, this is really hard. Uh, you know, your intentions. Um, it sometimes takes really difficult situations to bring about something positive. And, and I, I think what I'm feeling is like the firing up and the, the anger, it, it was, was healthy at some level because what it does is it forces us to sit down and say, okay, let's regroup and let's talk about how we actually communicate to others who have really difficult situations. And maybe we can all take something away from the message that you're sharing and go, I, I just want to be a better friend, a better partner, a better son, a better sister, whatever that is. Uh, and I hope that's happening. Um, it's happening for me. Uh, if we could spend a few moments, um, something that was intriguing to me is, you know, it's no secret. We're in a very divisive time in the United States, especially, uh, it, it feels like, especially during quarantine, I hear more and more often that people just feel like they can't communicate with each other and that there's these silos that we run into and everybody's yelling at each other, you know, through the silo and nobody actually wants to enter in to understand where the other person is coming from. With that being the stage it's set right now. And for a lot of us feeling it. I don't want to assume everybody, but a lot of us is feeling it. How do we navigate then moving from difficult situations that can, that surround trauma to then just moving about our everyday lives, talking about things that are triggering? So you're saying how do how do how do those things coexist? Both the truth that trauma has occurred, is occurring, and how do we also go about our sort of regular day? Yeah, and and then moving then into like. How do we start talking about difficult subjects that maybe don't aren't backed by trauma, but they're backed by our passions and our feelings, if that be spiritually, politically, I emotionally? I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really timely question for um, the environment in which we find ourselves. And a lot of important discussions need to happen right now in our society. So it's really good to be thinking about how do I do this in a way that's most digestible. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So being able to narrate that up front, I think is really, really important. Um, you know, in the context of a podcast that you host or when you're talking with friends or family, being able to say, I have a lot on my mind right now and I, I wanna I wanna share it. I wanna talk about it, I wanna elicit feedback and have discourse. But it's it's difficult material. It's it's triggering. Um, it it it's about um, the BLM movement. It's about domestic violence. It's about our our upcoming election. Are you available to have that kind of discussion? I, I, I'd like to do it if you're up for it, kind of thing. I mean, th this isn't something you could ask on a podcast, but if you are with friends or family, and if you're about to do something like that on a podcast, sort of letting the audience know. We're gonna we're gonna go into some territory that might be triggering. There's that word again. That might be complex. That might be messy. But it's important as people, especially given the times that we're in, to go there so we can all learn, so we can educate, so we can transform. And so I, I think when people feel like they have um, a, a narrative to present what your intentions are and to let them know what's coming, that they are they feel more open to it and feel more contained. 
um, before you enter into the part where you're talking about really difficult material and triggering stuff. Yeah, thank you. So I think that's a way that we can be careful um, with our words and with our sentiments, but not shut down and avoid them because we don't want to do that either. Why not? Why? I mean, why in these moments and in, in holistically what we've just talked about through this up until this point on this podcast, why don't we want to just ignore them and shut down? If we ignore them and shut down, we never learn. We never grow. We never transform. We never change. As I was looking at some of the discourse that was happening on your um, uh, Instagram page, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to come join you today is that I didn't want the conversation to get foreclosed. Because, for example, domestic violence is a really important topic, and a lot of people have um, uh, shame, embarrassment, and myriad of experiences that they can't imagine sharing because it feels so triggering, and um, they fear that there's judgment and repercussions. And I don't want that um, for mm. people that are victims. I want there to be a discussion that can feel supportive and open, and has an opportunity to educate people who don't know. You know, who don't know about it, who don't know how to talk about it. And that goes for all sensitive topics. If we shut down and don't don't talk about it, we never grow and transform and change. And we see that with the Black Lives Movement now, right? Is that finally, as a society, we're starting to talk about it and things are beginning slowly to change. Do you think that there's anything that we should talk about now that we haven't addressed yet that will help educate people on this? I, I think talking about what happened yesterday or whenever you guys did the, the podcast is mm-hmm. probably the, the most key thing that you can do in terms of educating people. How having um, um, casual discussions about sensitive, difficult, painful topics can impact people. Right. And okay. I think yeah. I think that's the thread of your message is part of the recognition yeah. that like, hey, we want to be able to talk about this and we want to do it in the best way possible. And so being able to stand up and go, wow, we, we might not have done that um, in the best way possible. Um, yeah. and, and we're OK standing up and saying that because we want to be examples of, of, of how to, again, grow, transform and do it differently. And so to me, I, I hope that's the biggest takeaway for folks listening is that Right. We, we all might make mistakes when we talk about things that are messy because it's hard and um, we get confused. We, we, we lose the through line. Um, we're overly casual in a moment uh, and, and we can step back and learn and impact people in a more positive way. We never want to lose a moment like that. We discussed, um, we discussed cancel culture a couple, you know, during the same podcast. And I think that... What I don't like about cancel culture so much is that it's just not forgiving and it doesn't allow people to learn from their mistakes. And um, I guess, how do you feel that counterculture is affecting these kinds of of conversation? Because now I feel like there's even more fear around having conversations like this. I talk a lot about cancel culture in my work and I always say there's, there's, probably a time and a place for cancel culture like a harvey weinstein or something right where there's been yeah <laughs> there's been such uh, uh, sort of a documented abhorrent behavior that uh disaffiliating from someone like that makes a lot of sense oh yeah right so, <laughs> so in, in some ways it, it it can apply and it's it, it's a way that um, society can hold someone accountable who's uh wronged so many people on that level 
having said that in a situation like you guys are dealing with when someone does or says something that feels hurtful or triggering to people, if we totally foreclose conversation, we absolutely lose moments for people to grow and change and educate themselves and to educate um, others that are participating or listening. And so I, I think it, it really can do harm in that sense. And if we have willing spirits like you two are, who, who wanna learn, who wanna listen, who wanna hear and grow and think about this and talk about that, we don't want to miss that, in my opinion. We don't want to miss that at all. We want to highlight it. And we have two people who are willing to be vulnerable and say like, ah, I don't know if that went as well as it could. If I want to do that better, let's hold that up. Like I said, if we have willing spirits and, and show people what it looks like to go, I might not have liked how that went. I want to do it differently. I want to talk about it. I want mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. And I, I think if we were able to do that in um, small and large scales over and over and over again, we'd be more connected as a society. So I think every little moment like this matters where we have someone who, who is willing to say, I wanna be vulnerable, I wanna learn. So I dislike cancel culture when it's applied in this kind of situation because we miss all of that. And that's where a lot of the beauty and learning comes. We're, uh, you know, because this is, uh, what happened on our podcast is an example and um, we're trying to use it to create a bigger discussion that we all are learning from. Um, including the listener out there. And so if we're looking at all of us here going, okay, this happened, this is a good example that we can all, uh, that we've pretty much all heard and we understand, um, where is the through line then? You've talked about the through line, like where does cancel, like how do we then look at this and people are really enraged and they're angry and they're triggered and they feel like there's, there's stuff on our podcast that's justifying stuff that they are very much against and it's like, no, it's not at all, it's not at all what it was meant. So like what stops that person from going through the through line saying, I'm just done or saying, I'm going to stick it out for a bit. Like, how do you help like in a healthy, with healthy boundaries, understand that for yourself? Hopefully this kind of discourse penetrates the, the upset and sense of enragement that people are experiencing right now. You know, this kind of discourse and people get in touch with their own humanity, you know, and their own, um, their own uh, ability to to make mistakes and um, their own flaws, you know, and that these kind of discussions make someone go like, right, we all make mistakes. We all show up in ways that we aren't proud of in moments. And if we shut each other down after those things occur, we never get to stay connected. We never get to learn. We never get to stay whole, really. And so we hope that it just penetrates people's sense of humanity. You know, that's really the through line to me. And look, I, I support the idea of people advocating for victims of domestic violence. It's a good idea to make sure that victims of domestic violence don't feel shamed or don't feel exploited. That's, that's a good idea. And I, I would stand alongside someone who is advocating for that. And so I, I think your listeners that that we're, we're sending that message along can feel um, supported or justified. I, I think the nuance we're trying to demonstrate here is that you guys stand with that idea too. <laughs> you guys stand with that idea too, that the uh, kind of dialogue that you had um, might not have fully demonstrated that. And, and for, for that, you are sorry and want to do better, um, but that everyone can stand together in, in, in the, the idea that we want victims to, to heal and to feel supported and we want perpetrators to be held responsible. 
And so I, I think if people are able to take kind of a deep breath and allow those truths to sink in, that those were the messages that you guys stood behind um, to begin with as well. We don't have to be so divisive because this is why often divisiveness happens is that people aren't willing to fully listen, you know? So I guess the through line is humanity and listening. And, and some people listening um, might find that and, and some people um, might not. And, and that's okay because this is messy. This is emotional and messy. And I, I think we have to be okay with, with all of this being imperfect because it's a hard situation. And, and a lot of people's um, emotional reacts, reactions are super justified in the sense that they're genuine you know, feelings and they're, mm -hmm. they're to do yeah. the right thing, um, just like you guys are. So we, we may also have to just be okay with, with everyone living with a degree of upset around this because this is a hard topic. Dr. Goldshire, we really appreciate you. Um, thank you for, for doing this with us. Um, it's been really good for me. I, 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 I hope it's good for, you know, a few people out there listening. Um, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your insight and thank you for willing, you know, kind of being willing to sit with us through something that's difficult and then also educating all of us on how we can be better. Uh, Dr. Goldshire, uh, it, before you leave, if anybody's out there listening who is in the midst of deep trauma, uh, they haven't found an outlet to speak about it, what advice would you give to anybody for ways to get help, resources to get help, et cetera? Yeah, well, I, it, it's so important to just begin talking to someone. And if that's just a trusted other, a friend or a partner or a family member, it's critical to start getting your story out and if you're finding that you have invasive symptoms, whether that's depression, anxiety, uh, ruminating thoughts, et cetera, that you reach out to a professional. And um, you can Google in your local areas looking for psychologists that specialize in domestic violence. And um, during quarantine COVID, lots of folks are offering virtual sessions. And so there's resources available immediately. So I would just uh, encourage to start talking first with trusted others and then with a professional if additional help is needed. Thank you so much for being here. It means a lot to us. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I could be here. As every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once. It's tough for even the most watchful mom and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Duracell understands that. That's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power many important things around people's homes, including things that young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, but they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening. Because they believe that their product should provide more than just power, they should also provide peace of mind. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Diaper duty. It's the adventure no one warns you about when you're expecting, right? Well, fear not. Pamper Swaddlers features a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Not only are Pamper Swaddlers total game changers, they have the hottest baby gift trend for 2024. 
the Pampers Diaper Stash, an online diaper fund where friends and family can contribute a group gift so that your diaper stockpile never runs out. I love this idea. Here's how it works. You create a diaper stash account, share it with your tribe, watch the stash grow, gift it to the parents, and voila. They use the stash funds to snag Pampers diapers and wipes anywhere, anytime. It's not just a gift. It's a stash of joy. (laughs) Ensuring that those parents-to-be are stocked up without the guesswork. So whether you're a parent in the trenches or the ultimate gift guru, make 2024 the year of leak-free happiness. Pampers swaddlers and the diaper stash. Because parenting should be an extraordinary journey, not a messy one. I love CVS. Let me tell you why. Take a look at your makeup. Dealing with Krispy Kreme's mucky mascara, goopy gloss. When you spring ahead for daylight savings, fling them out. Did you know that over-the-counter can get old? That's OTC can get OLD. Over-the-counter products like allergy relief and vitamins have expiration dates. When you spring ahead this week, Toss out those outdated items. They're yucky. Start fresh. Daylight savings time is coming up, and it's a perfect time to go through your closets, cabinets, and pocketbooks and throw out any outdated products. And CVS can help you save big on replacements during the CVS spring fling. Fling out the old, save big on the new. Check your mascara, creams, and sunscreens and replace anything that's outdated and may have lost its effectiveness. Same with ibuprofen, allergy relief products, and vitamins. Try free CVS pickup and get your order in in as little as one hour. Visit cvs.com slash spring fling for details. Your whole life, you've been told that the enemy of eating well is giving into your cravings and indulging, but actually your cravings are leading you right where you need to be to Kali Power. <laughs> Kali Power is the brand that powers the foods that you crave with the ingredients you deserve so you can crave on. So if you're craving pizza, go ahead, enjoy one of Kali Power's thin and crispy stone fired cauliflower crust pizzas, craving chicken tenders. Kali Power's chicken tenders are made with real all-natural white meat chicken and a crispy coating packed with cauliflower so you can get protein and veggies all in one bite. And that's not all. If you want to indulge in a big warm bowl of pasta, dig in with Kali Power's cauliflower-based pasta meals. Dinner has never been easier or more delicious. With Kali Power, all the foods you crave are made with the power of veggies. Gluten-free always, ready in minutes, and most importantly, they taste like the foods you crave. Kali Power's products are available in freezers nationwide. Visit eatcaulipower.com to find them in a store near you. Kali Power. Crave on. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Dars. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast. And to ask Jeff some questions because 
even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Our next guest is somebody who has become a friend of mine. Um, I've gotten to know through a couple different instances. Uh, Elise was a huge supporter of The Bachelor Live on stage. Elise, welcome to the Almost Famous podcast. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Uh, Thank you. I want to give a little bit of a background while you're here, um, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've already broached on the things that I said that uh, came off... uh, poorly and that triggered some and that angered many Uh, and uh through all of this you were actually the first time I even knew this like when you texted me it was the first time I even knew something was happening I was with my parents and um I got your text and your text just laid out to me that hey you had listened to the podcast that there was some things said that you felt uh were not right and you wanted to get clarity on them uh, you know, that's been what, uh, two days now, mm-hmm. um, since you texted me and you've been a consistent voice to me through that. You, uh, did not only, uh, bring it to light in my life and to tell me how I misspoke and what I said that was triggering, but you then also encu- have encouraged me and, uh, helped guide me through this. And it was, it's weird how life happens and how there's unexpected people that kind of step in at moments that you don't expect it and when you need it and and speak truth into you that isn't just, you know, s- saying things that are nice to help you feel better, but actually like speaking constructive criticism into you so that you can be better. And you've done that for me. So it was only right that we brought you on because you do come from a place uh, that can speak to this. And you've spoke it to me. And so I just want to open up the floor to you to talk about why you're here and why this mattered to you so much. Yeah, um, it was a friend that sent me your and thanks for all those kind words. But um, it was a friend that sent me the clip. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't listen to the whole episode, but I listened to what we're talking about today. And immediately I knew why she had sent me the clip. And I know you guys have talked about this earlier in this podcast, but um, I felt that when you are, quote unquote, a public figure, right, people on social media are quick to um, jump and want to make commentary and speculate on people's intentions behind their words. And I think from our brief interactions together, I had a very good sense of that you don't do things with the intention to hurt people. And I wanted to go into the conversation with you initially privately. knowing what I know of you and that your intentions in having that conversation and wanting to show support for Cass, but also um, empathy for other humans that are involved got massively, uh, (laughs) you, you missed the mark. And I told you that in our conversation. And I think for me, this is not something that I ever thought I would talk about publicly because it is so personal and there's very mixed uh, messages. But I felt like by me reaching out to you and sharing a little bit of my backstory of being a victim of domestic partner abuse um, and having to go through some of these really difficult choices that, um, that you guys were talking about, having a perspective from the other end um, that maybe I could 
shed, shed some light, but from a place of hopefully love and compassion and not just anger over what was said. Well, you've done that. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how much I do appreciate it. Um, because I do, I think it's, it's probably helpful and, and we haven't dove into this yet, but you know, the words that I said, um, that love makes you do crazy things. What about that? And triggered you, what about that mm -hmm. frustrated you? Um, I think there's two parts of it. One, it really, um, <laughs> unfortunately we have this narrative through even just movies, but just our, our idea of what love should look like based on the representations we have around us. And sometimes those representations really aren't a healthy display of love. We have all gone through heartbreak and navigated it poorly, right? You've sent, you may have one too many cocktails and sent a text that you regret. <laughs> like we can all yeah. agree that it's not, that was not an act of love when you sent that text, that's, it. that's acting out of ego and hurt. But there's a massive mm -hmm. distinction between a regrettable text or a comment said in an argument and intentionally and purposefully causing someone physical, emotional, or psychological harm. They're, those two can't go hand in hand because love, and Ben, I know you talk a lot about your faith. And if we go back to like the good old Corinthians passage that we all talk about of what is love. But I was, yeah, I was looking at that last night. There is never a time in there that it, it excuses behavior that is mm -hmm. not beneficial to others because at the root of it we have to stop talking about and and in a way or at least verbally making it sound like we're excusing poor behavior as passion as mm -hmm. intimacy and nobody understands our relationship but us these are all a narrative that abusers use to justify their actions so then when we use those same narratives that the victim has heard over and over you think they must be right. He is right. He just loves me. We're passionate. We fight hard. We love harder. That's not love. Yeah. And so um, that part of it affected me, but also I want, I want to make it clear too that I can understand wanting to have empathy for just a human person, whoever that is, and that it doesn't coincide with making excuses for inexcusable behavior, but you would hope, especially for me, and I'm happy to share some of the backstory, that, that there is some sort of intervention with mental health or whatever the case may be, that they break those cycles of abuse because the person that did it to me did it to someone earlier. And maybe if they had that help, um, that wouldn't have happened to me. And unfortunately it happened to the girl after me. And so I want to encourage that people that are really struggling with whether they had prior abuse in their lives and it's manifesting in now their romantic relationship that they should and absolutely should get help. But when we say things that make the narrative of, of the abuser, something that is so commonplace hmm. for the victim, it really makes you second guess um, your own intuition of, of what is right or wrong in a relationship. I think that's, one of the, the biggest things I've learned and, and you highlighted it to me was that that those words I used that were irresponsible did give an excuse for why things were happening 
And not only did it justify it, but it excused it and it did make it commonplace. And for me, that's a takeaway from this that honestly, I, I didn't understand until you highlighted it to me. But now as you explain it and have explained mm-hmm. it to me, it, it is definitely hurtful when I said that. A hundred percent it's hurtful. A hundred percent I can see where somebody would listen to that who is in the midst or who has been a victim and go, Ben is excusing actions that have devastated me and hurt my life. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why I wanted to talk to you initially about privately, because I know your heart, I think. (laughs) And I know that that was not the intention behind your words, but I think opening up, if anything positive is to come from what has, I'm sure for you, been a really, really dark time, um, of hearing these comments and accusations about your intention beyond behind those words mm-hmm. is that it's opening up a dialogue for someone to give not you, not only you information, but other people that, that we have to change the narrative around what domestic abuse even looks like, because I'm going to be honest, the, <laughs> if you look into like statistics and I shared some of these with Ben and I'm sure earlier you guys mentioned this when you were talking about a therapist, but Um, I feel like we put things on this spectrum of, and I've even seen this in comments about recent events, if they're not hit, if they're not sexually abused, it it almost goes on this spectrum of how bad is it really? Mm -hmm. And when you start going through statistics, and I did after our conversation, Ben, and I'm sitting there checking off going down of things of how it impacts people's lives to be harassed, to be stalked, it is psychological warfare and that is the best way I can put it and I'm not discrediting the severity of what other people go through as far as actual physical abuse or otherwise but all levels of abuse have long-term effects on the person that was victimized and and so yes words and and things that make it seem okay if just taken for face value of what those words are really discredit the actual work that myself and others have to do to just feel like themselves again. And I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but um, it wasn't so much that through my experience, I lost trust in other people or even romantic relationships, but I lost trust in myself of what I was allowing in my life, the whys, all these things that go through your head when constantly you are just scared at every turn and to not trust yourself is something that takes years to overcome and so I don't want to minimize abuse as category a this bad category b is worse and and c is the absolute worst because all of it has just unbelievable long-term effects on the person that went through it it might be helpful here uh how do you define abuse this is certainly not going to be a therapist way of defining it, but for myself, it, it, where I could draw the line was, would I accept this if my best friend was telling me this was happening to her Mm -hmm. at some point? Yeah. People are going to go through, you know, we all make mistakes in relationships. We all do and say things that are regrettable. But when you are in a position where you're losing work, you're forced to move, 
you are isolated and I really want to hone in on that isolation thing because that is usually how this starts no matter what type of abuse it is. The easiest way to control and manipulate someone is to isolate them as much as possible from friends and family that care about them that would point out that this is not okay. So if I was seeing this in a friend and her relationship or his relationship, at what point would I step in and say something? And if I would do that for them, why aren't I doing it for myself? So I define abuse as behavior that I wouldn't tolerate for the people that I love the most. Because a lot of times we're very quick to jump to action for people we love and not as quick to jump to protect ourselves. Elise, when you were going through this, was there a friend of yours that really excelled in taking care of you? And can you explain how they were able to communicate with you in such an effective way? I am very, very lucky that I have an incredible family. And my dad is, uh, can I say he's no bullshitter? <laughs> he, yeah. he tells things like it is, but when um, we're living states apart, it's not always easy to see what's going on. And at the time I was not really close to many people. And like I said, isolation becomes a huge part of it. I remember the people that introduced me to this guy, I wasn't even allowed to be in their wedding because he had a problem with it. I mean, this is the extent that people go to make sure that you're in a bubble all to yourself or to the abuser self, really. Um, did I have friends that supported me? Absolutely. But during it, I'll be honest, I was hiding a lot of what was going on out of fear of criticism, out of shame that wasn't mine to hold. But that is something I think a lot of people experience. Um, it's embarrassing. You don't want to admit to how bad things really got. We all want to have the happily ever after. And when it goes on a path that is so opposite of that, um, it's really hard to open up to people. But after I came forward, and I'll be honest, I was forced to come forward. It was not some a decision I made on my own. Um, the state press charges and after a particularly bad incident, and then we things escalated from there. But after I came forward, the amount of support I had, whether it was from family, even from a long distance or friends, just having a, an unbiased, of course they support you, but if you have a friend going through this, don't go into like the rhetoric of like your favorite self-help guru, because it's a lot deeper than, you know, think positive and you'll get through this. Um, you have to understand that by the time someone opens up, they've more than likely been holding on to this pain and the shame that goes along with that for longer than you have ever recognized because you become so good at being a chameleon to keeping that person happy so that the abuse doesn't continue, but also to not show anyone else what is going on out of fear of, of retaliation if you do. Uh Elise, I, I want to give you the ability to share your story as much as you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but just before we do, uh, you did share some statistics with me. I don't know if they're in front of you right now. Um, I have a couple of them. I know I sent a few, a few in, in our conversation, but. Yeah. Do you mind sharing those? And then whatever amount of your story you're comfortable sharing, uh, sure. if you'd like to do that, I, I think it would be appreciated. Um, and, and I can certainly give you the link to where I found these, but it was from a 2011 study. So I can't even imagine how this has escalated with 
technology <laughs> advancing. Yeah. Um, but one in seven people, and this is this is only about um, domestic abuse that was not escalated to violent acts or homicide. One in seven lost work. One in eight were forced or forcibly moved out out of fear. 86% of harassment victims report their personality was changed as a result. And the one that really struck me because I, it's not a fun thing to talk about, but um, that within the first year after legality and all of this has settled, one in four people that have been harassed and or stalked will contemplate suicide. When you go into the statistics of um, what it looks like for issues of harassment and stalking to escalate, um, I think the numbers would floor you. But these are just things that because thankfully that that wasn't my situation, I was checking off the list. And um, I, I don't have this one written down, but if I remember correctly, um, one in th one in three people that have been harassed and or stalked um, <laughs> will will suffer from some sort of post-traumatic stress going forward, which takes a lot of therapy and a lot of care to navigate and, mm. and get back to the healthiest version of you possible. These, these things don't end with a restraining order. Mm. Oh. So that's, uh, um, that's tough. Uh, there's not a response to that. I don't, I don't know what to say other than thank you. Thank you for sharing those. Thanks for doing the research and thanks for sharing those with me. Um, they do give yeah. a picture, a better idea of just how tough it is. And like you said, one thing that sticks with me in this and it happens all the time, but it's like we see a conclusion, right? With a restraining order. Yeah. Yet the, yeah. It doesn't stop there for the human that's experienced. Like it's not like that. It's not like that brings healing. Um, so I want to talk about healing with you, but before we do, let's talk, let's, let's talk as much as you want about mm -hmm. your story. And then I would love to lean that into anybody that's experiencing this as well to how you've gone about trying to heal and what has you found helpful in that? Absolutely. Um, this happened Geez, I'm 33. I'm older than all of y'all. But um, <laughs> hey, I'm right behind you. <laughs> um, I this was a number of years ago, but I remember it plain as day. It is one of the most vivid memories. I was having a New Year's Eve party, and a guy walked in, and it immediately was like, "Who is that?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was very clear to see that he could be what you would probably stereotype as like the bad boy if this was some just mm -hmm. just horribly written romantic comedy and I remember talking that night and there was just an energy about him that I think now I would recognize as run <laughs> away mm -hmm. but at the time it was so captivating because I'm someone that loves to figure people out and the why behind who they are and it, I could not read his energy and that captivated me um, I remember our first date was one that in hindsight, and this is going to sound so silly, like you almost want to say like, hi, where, how many red flags do you need before you, you know, <laughs> before you get the hint, 
but the red flags went off immediately that this was going to be something pivotal in my life. Unfortunately, I mistook that um, coming from a place. Um, I know you guys obviously have watched the show, so you know that I talked a little bit about uh, my sister's passing. This was all concurrent to when she was finding out she was pregnant and sick. So I was already in a very fragile position. And I think by opening up that side of what was going on in my life, it almost made it so much easier for him to step in and me to excuse some of the behaviors that I saw. Um, our relationship could be summed up very quickly in that it was all a lie. Things were fabricated from the beginning, but it was so intense. We would fight. We would, I hate to say it, but have the best sex ever and make up. And it was just this roller coaster of emotions. And it was so addicting at the time to have these, I don't want to say I was addicted to drama, but I think if I'm being honest, I was. Heightened emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, because it felt like something new that I had never experienced. And like I said, we see it in movies and stuff, this like, I'll do anything for you. But when it feels like that from the first date, that's probably not a healthy sign. <laughs> um, and it was not until, and I'm so grateful for this moment of clarity where I ended the relationship, it moved quickly. We got engaged four months later from the day we met Four months later, I had a ring on my finger. And when my sister was diagnosed, I remember we were all waiting by the phone and she obviously had her husband and my dad was consoling my mom. And I was waiting there alone. And I thought, if something ever happens to me, I would never have his support. It would always be about him in some way. I remember he went out that night because he couldn't handle the emotional it's just too emotional for him to be there. And I made excuse after excuse. And then that moment really triggered my desire to end the relationship because I knew at, at the core of a healthy relationship, it should be a little bit boring. You know, without question that that person is there for you. <laughs> you don't have to question these things that I was questioning every single day. And it was not until after I ended the relationship that um, things that maybe felt like they were crossing the line escalated almost overnight. And I want to be careful with my words because while I'm sharing my story, I don't want it to scare someone out of like coming forward or, or walking away from an abusive situation because you have the right to do that and you should do that. Um, but in my particular instance, when he lost control of me, he completely lost control over that filter that he had tried so hard to keep up and it escalated in, in ways that now I feel so disconnected to that it almost doesn't seem real. Um, there was burner phones. There was pictures of me at different places. Um, I lost my job because my coworkers started to feel unsafe because he was um, taking pictures of me while I was at work, sending them to me. But not from him, right? It's from these crazy numbers that I didn't know. Um, one night in particular where the state got involved, he came into my home and out of fear, I thought, take anything you want, but I'm getting the hell out. So 
<laughs> you go in and I'm getting out. Um, and he did take items of mine, including, and, and this isn't a fun thing to admit, but a laptop that he had purchased for me as a gift that had a picture that, I mean, by Instagram standards, probably wasn't that embarrassing. But when it's sent to my father, posted as his Facebook photo, profile photo, um, that was supposed to be something so intimate between us um, and used in a way to absolutely shame and embarrass me and um, had a lot of things taken and used as leverage. If you talk to me, if you see me, you can have these back. Um, that is where... Uh, legal got involved and there's times where I'll be honest there was physical things that happened that that should never have happened but I'm very thankful it never got to a place of um, where I, I needed treatment of any sort for any like physical injury but um, it it's hard to just sum up how crazy it was but I remember Thanksgiving night my my aunt calling me and saying, I'm so sorry, but we don't feel safe. You know, we had, they had little kids around. We don't feel safe of having you come to Thanksgiving because we don't know if he's tracking you, if he comes here, what's going to happen. And they had to call the police that night because he showed up um, and was lighting. I don't know what you call them, but if you get in a car accident, they're like flare things in your car to like help with traffic. Um, and throwing those at their windows on Thanksgiving night, assuming that I was there. These aren't in any way <laughs> loving actions to make me lose a career. I had to then move out of the home I was living in because my roommates no longer felt safe and rightfully so. Um, I just want to say like, there's nothing loving about these type of actions, but it is very almost easy when you're in the situation to make excuses because your emotions are still involved. I still cared about him. I still also carried a lot of um, guilt. Like, oh, he, you know, when you're in that deep, you go, God, maybe I did do something wrong and deserved this. That was the thing in my head all the time. Maybe I deserved this. Um, unfortunately, um, as we went through the legal process, I found out that this was not the first time he had done this. Um, I don't know exactly the extent. I could only read the court filings of what he had done to someone in the past. Um, and that is what prompted me to continue because I will tell you, I did not want to show up that day in court to testify against him. It was terrifying. I don't want to put down the legal system, but I didn't feel I, enough measures were taken to make sure that even my arrival there was safe. Um, and I hope that that has changed in the years since. Um, it was the scariest by far day of my life sitting in court. Um, but I knew that if I wasn't going to take responsibility for what was happening to me, that there's also, in my opinion, a responsibility to what could potentially happen to the next person, because it was very clear that his patterns were escalating. And now I'll take a big deep breath because that was a lot. No, I'm just I'm so I'm so thankful that you felt comfortable sharing that. Um, and I'm just incredibly sorry for everything that you went through. Um, if there is some, you talked about there being red flags very early on. 
would you feel comfortable sharing what some of those are just so that other girls listening can look out for them in their own relationships or in their friends relationships and I I kind of want to respond to that that I want to make sure that this isn't it's not just females that go through this <laughs> it's it's yeah. both yeah. um and unfortunately yeah. I think there's even more critique when or criticism when a man comes forward and says something um yeah. because of the unfortunate stereotypes we have about masculinity no, thank you for calling me out on that. Um, but I, I think for me, some of the major red flags that I can look back in hindsight is one, the constant roller coaster. And it felt like we started on a little kitty roller coaster <laughs> to one that, you know, is doing loop de loops and you're hanging upside down. And I know that seems like kind of a funny analogy, but it just kept escalating. And the things that I would have to excuse as, oh, this was just an argument, kept becoming harder to excuse. Um, intense, intense jealousy. That isn't coming from a place of that where it's warranted. I think a little jealousy sometimes can even be healthy and a little fun in a relationship. If I'm dating someone and the girl's looking at him, good for me. I, can't, I, I feel you. I'm like, oh, okay. You think he's cute? Good. He's exactly. Mine. There's a massive yeah. difference between that and having um, a, a, just a pleasant conversation, trying to be kind to a member of the opposite sex and immediately seeing a switch where any loving affection has gone out the window. And now you are going to be publicly ridiculed and shamed because control is is just the major factor when it comes to harassment, stalking, and abuse. And if there's any semblance that they are losing control, things escalate very quickly. And jealousy for me is a major red flag in a relationship. Like Ashley and I talked about, there's a difference between healthy amounts of just normal human jealousy and jealousy that becomes vindictive becomes uh, a reason in their eyes to publicly shame you for things that you you truly didn't do. Um, I pride myself on being very, very loyal. So cheating has never been an issue for me yet to be standing at a dinner party. And I think I made reference. I mean, this is how silly it was. Um, there was a guy that was from Russia there. And I said, oh, I'm from a town in uh, Alaska and we have a, a pretty large Russian population and my my town that I'm from means soldier in Russian. It, that is not a flirtatious comment. In fact, it's a pretty <laughs> no. awkward, weird dinner party conversation <laughs> where you're just trying to get to know someone. But that briefest of interaction where the attention wasn't on him became a reason for him to call me a whore, to call me a slut in front of people that I cared about and work colleagues and to create a scene where I was in the wrong and people would, because of how he portrayed it, would go, oh, I'm so sorry she did that to you. Gosh, you're right, that's terrible. And when you hear other people saying it, you go, man, maybe I really did something wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't think a Russian to English translation is you know, gonna be on top of someone's Tinder profile as a way to make a move. But when you're in those scenarios, it's, um, it's the littlest things that can set them off. Um, one huge one was he would get angry at me for, I was his like escape. He could take everything out on me that had absolutely nothing to do with me. If he got a flat tire, I'd be left on a very busy city interstate 
because somehow it was my fault that he got a flat tire while driving his car. These, those are completely irrational thoughts. No one can cause you to get a flat tire. <laughs> it's the nail on the road that causes it. But when you are constantly put in a position where you are the source of their problems, um, I hope people stop believing it a lot quicker than I did. But you believe somehow, gosh, I, I did do this. And I think now people call that gaslighting. <laughs> of where you question yes. your own thought process or even just the reality of the situation around you because someone has absolutely convinced you and you've lost so much trust in yourself and your own ability to make healthy decisions that they must be correct and you must be absolutely batshit crazy and, and everyone else knows that you're batshit crazy. So they're right. And it just continued to escalate from, from there. So then moving into the healing process, mm -hmm. uh, how, what steps or what does somebody do coming off of this, still living within it to heal, to recover, to start knowing truths about themselves again? I think do everything I didn't do. Um, this is not something that I dealt with for quite some time. Like I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of new <laughs> traumas going on with family matters that compounded um, at the time that quite frankly, that's where my emotional um, space went to and rightfully so. But there's so many resources that I wish I knew about then <laughs> that I know about now. Um, one that I spoke to Ben about and that I would speak to anybody about is the hotline.org. They have just that website alone, whether you call the number or just look at the website, the amount of information and measures that they go to protect the safety of even someone typing in hotline.org. The first thing that pops up is if you feel like your phone could potentially be um, monitored, here's how to get to this website on your browser safely so no one can look it up. I had never mm -hmm. seen things like that. Um, but also providing not only legal support, um, no matter where they are, but uh, therapy and advice and how and, and creating a safety plan for how to get out of that relationship as safely as possible, whether you live with them, have kids, etc. I think that is always something I'm going to recommend is the very first step. And the second is do not be afraid to talk to people. I have found that our hardest experiences in life um, either make us more empathetic to others going through it or allow others an opportunity to help us get through it. And when you shut off those conversations that you're, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but if I have something weighing on my heart, if I don't talk about it, it it's almost like the worst stomach ache. It's just sitting there and festering and you, you don't need to do that to yourself. There's so many people that you can reach out to. And if you're not in a position where friends and family might not be local to you or, or you don't feel comfortable, there's complete strangers that have been through this that are willing to rally like hell for you to get out of there safely and so that you can have the therapy that you will need. There's no, uh, there's such a stigma about uh, getting mental health help, but if you live in fear for, X amount of months or years, 
that doesn't just go away. It's going to take that same amount of time, if not more, to retrain yourself to not live in fear and to have a safe, unbiased person to talk to about it. So I think making sure that you are getting out safely, um, not making spontaneous decisions that could potentially put you in harm's way, going to the hotline.org, allowing these people to, to rally for you and make sure that you and potential any children are, are able to get out of there safely and create a plan. Plan is a huge, a huge help <laughs> um, because it, it's not everyone's reality where you can just wake up and say, I'm getting the keys and I'm getting in the car and I'm going. That isn't always the safest bet depending on the type of, of abuser that is in your life. So having a plan and then making yourself and your mental health and recovery a priority through conversation with others, through conversations with therapists, and to not be afraid. I mean, this conversation, I can't tell you, I was sweating bullets to have it. Um, but to not be afraid of maybe the one or two potential criticisms that can come from it because you are so worthy of being heard and your your words could help somebody else what a fantastic articulate advocate you are well, yeah. i don't know I, i'm a rambler so i don't know how articulate i was but <laughs> oh incredibly elise i uh i don't want to understate just how like how great you've been in the last 48 hours for others including this moment including me this isn't about me. I know that. But like in times of like not like feeling like I'm spinning, not knowing how this is happening and not knowing where to go with it and not knowing how to like, how to process it. Like, you've been awesome. Well, and you're going to make me cry now. And I got through that whole thing without crying. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, we, we come on this thing and like it's not worth it's it's not worth any time or effort to do this and know that like other people are going to experience pain because of the hour and a half that we take a week to just like talk about a crazy show and every once in a while like it hits and it hits hard and you realize that like your words really do matter and i want to thank you for being in this with me and also uh encouraging me yet keeping me knowing what I did wrong um, and how hard it was for me to hear that yet, how helpful it's been. Um, and thank you for coming on. Like, I, I don't want to underestimate just how much it took for you to even like show up today and to stalk, talk to us and to, to sit in this and be here. And I'm, I guarantee you this, there's somebody outside of myself, even that uh, myself included that will hear you talk today and their life will be changed forever for the better. And like, that is a weight that I want you to know and I want you to carry and I want you to realize because I can't imagine anything, anything better to spend our time doing than that. And so Elise, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being here. This has been great. I appreciate you. Elise, your approach in this situation has been so admirable. You've been honest, but kind. You say, hey guys, you messed up. You hurt me and others. Here's what you went wrong. And I just really appreciate well, I it. I appreciate that. May I add something? <laughs> now that you said yeah. that. Um, I think because both of you are public figures, right? I just went back. I took my white dress and went back to my life as normal. <laughs> 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 um, but we are, 
and I, and I said this to Ben yesterday when I was a little bit concerned for maybe where his emotional space was, is that mm-hmm. I would just encourage people, this kind of a, a two point thing that first of all, um, be careful when you are critiquing others that you, I, I'm treading carefully because Ben, what you said was not okay, but you didn't do it with negative intent. And that was clear to me from the beginning and just be a little slower people to jump, know and be able to differentiate. If you are speaking from a place of trauma, if you're speaking from a place of emotion, take a beat before having that conversation with, with someone so that you can come to them from a place of love and with your ears open and not attacking them for something that they might not just understand yet. And that really Mm -hmm. extends to social media that people giving commentary. And I told Ben, I won't come on here and give commentary about the topic um, because I don't think commentary on someone's trauma is any of our rights. That person Mm -hmm. can speak for themselves and them alone um, because they're the only ones that know the depth of what's going on. And I've read comments online directed towards Ben, directed towards someone that I consider a friend from my time on the show. And it terrifies me not only for that person's mental well-being, but also for how paralyzing if you can stop before you comment and think, is this helpful? Because my God, if my 23-year-old self had read these comments that are directed towards someone who rightfully... um, made steps to feel safe, how paralyzing that would have been for me in seeking that same help. Seeing that amount of criticism and shame and speculation is not acceptable because you're not in the situation. These are characters that you see on TV and no, we're not actors, but you see such a small fraction of our lives that you do not get to pass judgment on what length someone needs to go to feel safe because we all have that right. And your comments, not you guys specifically, obviously, but people that are commenting these things, I'm just terrified for someone reading it. Like I said, my 23-year-old self would never have sought help if I thought I would get a fraction of the criticism that I'm seeing online. It's disgusting. Well, in there, Elise, thank you. Um, If you don't mind, we have a tradition that we're going to keep to. So follow our lead. This has been an Almost Famous podcast. It's a special podcast. Um, I've, I don't know if I've enjoyed sitting in it. Uh, I've, I'm glad I sat in it. I'll say that. Um, But with that, I've been Ben. I've been Ashley. And I've been a snotty Elise. (laughs) Snotty Elise, an amazing Elise. Thank you. We'll talk to you guys guys for having me. Follow the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. 
Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely available on 2032, 2025 and 2016 sizes. I love CBS. It could be my favorite store. Let me tell you why. It's hard to get a new look with old makeup. Did you know that beauty products have best buy dates? Take a look and toss them out. When you spring an hour forward this week, be sure to take the time to replace batteries and smoke detectors. Toss out old vitamins, allergy relief, OTC products, makeup, and anything else that might be outdated. CVS can help with this. This week, they're offering 20% off CVS pickup orders, so it's a great time to order replacements. It's all part of the CVS Spring Fling. Fling out the old, save on the new. Get 20% off when you buy online and pick up in store using CVS Pickup. Use the promo code SPRING20 to save big during the CVS Spring Fling. Visit cvs.com slash spring fling for details. Simplify your life with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Stay connected anywhere and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Navigate easily by powering apps like real-time GPS and voice assistant. Keep everyone entertained with Wi-Fi for up to 10 devices. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. Discover the convenience and see if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity roadblock your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road. Don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines. All on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. I've discovered the secret to turning diaper duty into... Pure parenting joy. Okay, well, that might be a stretch, but Pampers Swaddlers is truly the answer. They feature a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, including even blowouts. And for 2024's hottest baby shower slash sprinkle gift, it's the Pampers Diaper Stash. I am so for diapers for a baby shower. Our registry. This Pampers Diaper Stash is an online diaper fund where family and friends can contribute a group gift so that your diaper stockpile never runs out. Just create an account, share it, and then watch it grow, and then gift it. So easy. So whether you're a parent in the trenches or the ultimate gift guru, make 2024 the year of leak-free happiness with Pampers Swaddlers and the Pampers Diaper Stash.